Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Now remember, it's full contact. There are three ways to win. One, you knock your opponent out. Two, the other guy quits and shouts mate. It's like saying uncle. Three, you throw the f***er right off the runway. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Bloodsport. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a secret location in Hong Kong, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. How you doing, pal? I ain't your pal, dickface. Okay. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. That hurts me just looking at it. Ouch. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. 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 Good, 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 good. Tonight, we are entering round five in the best classic 80s movies, according to the three guys. Last week, we did Lone Wolf McQuaid. That was Chuck Norris. And then we did Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. And then we did The Running Man with Arnold. And then we kicked everything off with Cobra, Stallone, right? So Mm -hmm. naturally, at some point, we had to get to Jean-Claude Van Damme. John, how many movies did Jean-Claude have in the 80s? He did five action movies in the 80s. He started with 1986 with No Treat, No Surrender. In 1988, he did Bloodsport and Black Eagle. And in 1989, Cyborg and Kickboxer. I'm going to just go ahead and back you up. Van Damme, not Dom. Van I thought it was Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Damn. Van Damme. Isn't it? Van Damme? What is it, Professor? I, I thought it was I Van Damme. I need a ruling here. I thought it was Van Damme. All okay. right. <laughs> okay. I always said Jean-Claude Van Damme. <clears throat> and so we get to Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, you know, he has these five movies in the 80s. And I, I think that uh, Bloodsport's the best one. For the 80s, yeah. Uh, for the 80s, right, right. Because I personally don't think Van Damme peaks until the 90s. Now, wait a minute. You like that better than No Retreat, No Surrender? Dude, come on. First of all, he's in No Retreat, No Surrender for like maybe 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Okay. And then Bloodsport, he's in it for more than 30 seconds. He was in it long enough for me to own it. I still actually, if you go into my garage, I've got the actual VHS Tape for No Retreat, No Surrender. The only reason why you still have that tape is because you never threw it away. And you're too lazy to throw it away. And I'm proud to say I got it out of a Blockbuster, uh, one of those bins that they had everything marked way down. If anybody doesn't know what a Blockbuster is, look it up. Professor, were you a fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme back in the day? Yeah, I enjoyed him in his... It started with this and then him in his early 90s stuff. You know, the Lionheart, Double Impact. Universal Soldier, Time Cop, you know, those those early 90s. You know, they're, they're schmaltzy movies, but they're a guilty pleasure. Sure. And, and Bloodsport is definitely a guilty pleasure for me. I say that Bloodsport is his best film in the 80s. However, I really did enjoy Kickboxer and Cyborg. So, I mean, I've been a fan of Jean-Claude way back when as well, you know. So, uh, 
growing up, we had this kind of uh, dynamic, right? You had Stallone and Schwarzenegger, right? And then Van Damme comes out, and I guess his counterpart we thought would be Patrick Swayze, but it wasn't. Uh, not really Chuck Norris, because Chuck Norris is old school, right? Uh, Steven Seagal. So it was always a Van Damme movie or a Seagal movie. Mm-hmm. Are you a Beatles or an Elvis, right? And I was always team Van Damme. And so going back uh, to watch Bloodsport, I had a lot of fun with that. Did you ever want to see them both in a movie head-to-head? Yes, until you find out what a real douchebag Steven Seagal actually is. Mm-hmm. So... You know, anything after what was the one where he was a Native American, uh, like Marshall or something, something ground on hollowed ground, underground, something ground on something ground. I think the movie before that on sacred. No, was it sacred? I don't know. God, if only we had this device. Um, the one before that, I think, is Under Siege 2. Yeah, probably. I think that was his last decent and i use that term very loosely film he lost me after under siege Uh, i don't think i've watched another seagal movie after i liked under siege but all the rest of them just all blended together i think my favorite seagal movie is hard to kill but that is a different topic for a different time and i'm not sure if steven seagal made this list because he i think he only had one movie in the 80s above the law yeah and i think any of the movies that are on our list are list of 10 way better than above the law yeah so yeah i think so too so you know i feel our list is justified what is your favorite jean claude van damme movie you know i was thinking about that and where i always go to first is blood sport interesting if you take blood sport out though which would you say is your next favorite do you have a preference no because the rest of them they were kind of sort of one and done mm-hmm what about you? For me, of course, Bloodsport is always the top one, but I actually felt like Lionheart showed off a little bit of his acting chops in that, you know, the whole family scenes and all that. And I thought, that's that, even though it is, again, same vein, almost like a remake of, you know, Kickboxer and Bloodsport and all that, I, I really go back to Lionheart. Lionheart's a great flick. I'm not going to fucking lie. Yeah. I think my it's- favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie is either Time Cop or uh, Hard Target. Mm. I really enjoyed Hard Target. His Cajun accent is fucking atrocious. And I love it. And his hair. Yeah. Oh, and, and fucking t- hair, bud. And Time Cop. That's kind of a fun watch. Yeah. Universal Soldier. Dolph Lundgren. I fucking forgot about you. Absolutely. Universal mm-hmm. fucking Soldier. For sure. Death Warrant. I didn't mind Death Warrant. And Sudden Death when it's... Uh, sudden Death is Die Hard at a Hockey Arena. And uh, Death Warrant is Die Hard in a jail. So, do you know who else was in Death Warrant with him? In Death Warrant? Yeah, from Bloodsport. Was it uh, Chong Lee? Uh, Paco? Paul? Oh, Paco was in it? Yeah, he apparently was in oh, that movie too. Nice. Yeah, you have a couple of these characters showing up in other Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Yeah. I can tell you the one I absolutely fucking hate. There's two of them. Actually, it was probably more than that. But off the top of my head is Simon Says, the one he's in it with Dennis Rodman. Oh, my God. Atrocious. Yeah. And then the Double Impact, the one where he plays twins. I was wondering. Some people love that, that was movie. Lame. Some people just hate that movie. Yeah. And then as he got older and into the late 90s, it, it kind of got worse. After Nowhere to Run with Rebecca de Mornier, uh, it, he just kind of fell off the map there. Yeah, he, he, he put a bunch of clunkers out there. Absolutely. I... 
Oh, I say I know I've asked you this before, but have you ever seen his streaming series that came out? They had like one season. No, I'm gonna check it out though. It it's actually pretty funny because he's almost basically playing himself. If if Jean Claude was secretly a secret agent, yeah, yeah, and I gotta say I do enjoy him in The Expendables too. Mm-hmm. I like him as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I thought he was good. This film was released on February 26, 1988, directed by Newt Arnold, screenplay by Christopher Cosby, Mel Friedman, and Sheldon Littich, based on the life of Frank Dukes. And it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Donald Gibb, Leah Ayers, Norman Burton, Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker, Bolo Young, Philip Chan, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $2 million, and it brought in $50 million. Not too bad for a movie around then. No. Especially about a martial arts movie. I don't think they were pulling in a lot back then. No. And we get movies later on that are clearly um, paying homage to Bloodsport or the type of tournament film that it was. So this movie brings in $50 million back in 1988, which is not a bad haul considering, you know, it was only made for two. Um, but I do think that it does become one of those 80s uh, action films that we've been talking about. And so um, it made the list because it met some of, if not all of, the criteria that we kind of look at or that um, we kind of keep in mind when we're watching it. What um, is that criteria, Don? The must-haves for the 80s action movies that we're talking about, they are a movie macho hero with quotable one-liners played by a recognizable star, over-the-top villain, a montage sequence, over-the-top chase scenes, an epic fight scene, a villain speech or monologue, a final showdown, an oh-crap death for our bad guy, franchise potential, around a 90-minute runtime, a high body count, and a cool ride. I think that this movie kind of checkmarks some of those. Yeah, I think it actually hits most of those yeah. most of those goals. Although, like, in some of it, we have to kind of give it a little bit of space. You know, the bad guy doesn't really die in this movie, but it does get a pretty uh, big, oh, crap, you know, defeat scene. Yeah, but, I mean, you talk about that, and really nobody dies in this film. There's There's one. There's one death, right? So... There's not a high body count, Mm -mm. but I think the action and the tournament make up for it. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. instead of high body count, we should have said a high knockout count, right? For this movie specifically. That's what I just said. Yeah, for martial arts movies, they don't tend to have a lot of death scenes unless you're like getting to the really, really campy ones. Uh, But a lot of knockout fight scenes, yeah. U.S. Army Captain Frank Dukes has trained in the ways of nujitsu under his sensei, Senzo Tanaka. As a boy, Dukes and a group of his friends broke into Tanaka's home to steal a katana, but Dukes was apprehended while returning the katana to its place. Impressed by Dukes' integrity and toughness, Senzo decides to train him alongside his son, Shingo. After Shingo's death, Senzo trains Dukes as a member of the Tanaka clan. Dukes is invited to the Kumite, an illegal martial arts tournament in Hong Kong. After his army superiors refuse to let him go, Dukes goes absent without leave, says goodbye to his sensei, and leaves for Hong Kong. Two criminal investigation command agents, Helmer and Rollins, are assigned to track down and arrest Dukes. The actor who plays Senzo Tanaka, he looked so familiar for me. 
I was kept trying to think where I could place him and I just where is did. he from? I just did. As soon as you said that, I didn't even think about that last night. Do you know who he is? I've seen his face. He's I, been in a bunch of things, but what do we know him from? Nice trial, Lao Che. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Good call. Good pull. I didn't even fucking put that together until you said that. I had to go look him up and I looked at all of his movies and I'm like, oh my God, he was in Temple of Doom. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, this movie opens like any movie in the 80s, right? You get credits and during the credits, we are introduced to our fighters. Yeah, we get to know them. We get to see the little training montage. We get our first montage. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if that counts because it's the opening credits. Yeah. So... Um, did you have a favorite one uh, besides Jean-Claude Van Damme? Did you have a favorite fighter? You mean Jean-Claude Van Damme? Jean-Claude um, Van Damme. I, I kind of liked Paco. Paco was a, I liked him too. Yeah. And I have to say, yeah, probably just Paco really. I don't know why. I always was drawn to the guy with the monkey fighting style. Oh yeah. Yeah. You'd hop around and I love it because he hops in a tree. Yeah. And cuts off all the coconuts. Yeah. And he fucking shatters the coconuts. Mm-hmm. He's, that dude's tough. Yeah. So it opens and we find out uh, that Dukes is in the army and, you know, we know that there is this illegal tournament that's going to happen. You can kind of get that by the credits because they're getting the uh, arena ready. The fighters are getting ready. Uh, is this... What song is... This isn't the Kumite song, is it? No. No, this is your opening credit song, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's anything rememberable or anything like that. Uh, so Dukes goes to see his sensei, and we get all of the backstory at once. And you know what? Thank you. What I will say about Bloodsport right off the bat is paced very well, and it moves. You know what I mean? I blink and we're already in the third fucking round. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what I liked about it. One of the great things about this is one of your requirements is that it needs to have a 90 minute runtime. This movie came in at 92 minutes. So it was almost hit that mark. Yeah. Well, hey, I know what I'm fucking talking about. And mm-hmm. the more, if, if you guys would just listen to me, I think your movie going experiences would be enhanced. From now on, I'm going to look at movie runtimes. And if it's over that mark, skipping it yeah just fucking done with it done with it only during this segment though because i mean there's films out there that are pretty fucking good that are like three and a half hours uh so frank dukes is a young kid and him and his buddies break into uh send they didn't break in they just opened the window they went to well it's a breaking and entering well what did they really break they didn't break anything they entered they entered, yeah, and then they trespassed. And then, as soon as they hear yes, somebody they coming, they drop they drop their stuff immediately. And and well, why why not, why not just take it? I what? don't know. That's a good question. Why not just take it? Uh, plot convenience. Yeah, and 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 why is Frank wearing a, a Giants football jersey but a San Francisco uh, baseball hat? <laughs> um, good I, question. I don't get that. Uh, yeah, I. It, he, the kid probably got the part and came to set and that's what he had on. And the director's like, ah, fuck it. Just put him in there. Put him in there. I, I kind of thought that maybe, you know, to, to prepare himself for the role, he just watched um, some John claude Van Damme movies. And then he, that's his impression of a John claude Van Damme. Yeah. Well, he would only have at that time, probably no retreat, no surrender to, 
uh, use as a reference. Because, so who knows? Because he delivers his lines just about as well as Jean Claude Van Damme. Boy, I gotta say, it, it's a toss up. Who who sounds more halting in their delivery of their lines, the young or the old Frank Ducks, Dukes? Oh, I'm gonna have to say the old. Because the young, he lucks out. He only got like four lines, right? Uh, they, Him and his buddies steal the sword. His buddies ditch him. He's trying to put the sword back. Tanaka comes in with his son. The son kicks him. And, you know, you think you know, they're in call the cops or whatever. But this is setting up our story. This is introducing us to the sensei and to the students. Tanaka talks to Frank and he says... Um, you know, why were you, you're trespassing, I'm going to call the cops, whatever. And, you know, the kid, Frank is just like, I'm going to steal it. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's just hard to do. <laughs> I, I always wondered, and watching the movie over again, I thought they dubbed in his voice. It didn't look like it matched up right to me. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of sections in this movie where the voices do not match Mm-mm. and it drives me up the fucking wall. Did they dub Chong Lee's voice? Uh, did they give him a voice? Did you notice when he gets all excited? No audio whatsoever comes out of him. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, yes, I'm sure they probably did dub Chong Lee's voice. Uh, so Frank gets caught and him and Tanaka come up with an, an arrangement. Uh, Tanaka is going to train Frank in the ways of the ninjutsu and train with his son, Shingo. Basically be a punching bag at first. And, you know, and that kind of makes sense, right? You're training your kid to be the best. He's got to fight against somebody, so you get this kid. Uh, I forgot about the scene where the where Tanaka goes and asks Frank's parents', parents. permission. Mm-hmm. I forgot all about that scene because when the little shit was breaking into the house, sorry, professor, when the little shit was entering the house through an open window, I was thinking, where the fuck is this kid's parents? Right. I thought maybe he came from a broken home and I was giving him this big backstory. I was being John. Well, being horrible about it. uh, When I first saw him and I saw the, you know, this clothes not matching, I thought maybe he had just gotten to this country and they went shopping at Goodwill for clothes for him. So they just found some random clothes for him. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't expect this kid to have parents is my point. But they do, and uh, every now and again, we'll cut back to a close-up of Jean-Claude, right? Because The camera slowly zooms in on him. Right, we we have to continue. Pre- present day, flashback. <laughs> we, uh, we have to tell the audience that Jean-Claude is thinking very deeply about his Shidoshi. And uh, we cut back, and, you know... They're doing their training, and it turns out, you were right, John, uh, Tanaka just wanted to use Dukes as his kid's punching bag. And Dukes is like, fuck that, I don't want to do this, or deals off, whatever, whatever. And then we cut to, naturally, uh, the school, where the little Shingo's getting bullied, and Frank comes and saves the day. Could that scene, or could that fight scene, if you want to call it that, could it be any slower? I agree, it was... A little slow, that, and I kept thinking, Shingo's been training longer than Frank, he's grown up in this thing, and he's the one that's getting his ass kicked, and Frank comes in and saves him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so right there, you have to wonder to yourself, did any of this really happen? Mm-hmm. So, um, they they stand up, they become friends, and this is where uh, Frank first learns about the Kumite, I believe. Because uh, Shingo tells him, I'm going to uh, train and win the Kumite for my father because it's the greatest honor. 
and you know they shake hands and and then we cut to now jean claude is jean claude i mean he's frank right we find out that tanaka's son has died and that jean claude wants to be trained and now now we get to the montage and you know training montages in action films are fucking fantastic they're one of my uh favorite reasons to watch an action film i love the editing i think uh growing up and watching these films uh kind of sparked my love for editing uh and montages had a lot to do with that um what you guys think of this montage of him getting ready Every time I watch it, it's just an enjoyment to see all the little things and all the things you can pick up on. Like the fact that he does the splits earlier on, but later on, it hurts him to do it when they put him in the ropes. The little fish sequence, the tea sequence. I, I like the whole thing. Yeah. For me, I uh, I found it amusing having uh, Frank hit the mat so many times. <laughs> it shows him hitting the mat like nine times in a row. Like boom, 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 boom. And when it first starts... The camera zooms in on Tanaka, but he doesn't do anything. He just moves, and then it cuts to Frank hitting the mat. And it cuts back to Tanaka, and the camera zooms in. He doesn't do nothing, and we cut to you know Frank hitting the mat. So it, it really is a progression, right, of uh, Frank's skills. Uh, when we first start, he can't fucking touch him. Right, he keeps hitting the mat, and when we're done, he's blindfolded, serving them all tea, and he catches a punch that Tanaka throws at him, which is one of my favorite parts of this film. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but it always just I just kind of go, oh, that's fucking dope, right? Um, and which, then we get to the tree stretching scene. But would you say that the blindfold might have been foreshadowing? Oh, for fuck's sakes! That is, why did you teach him that word? You know what? <laughs> why do madmen do what they do? I don't know, bud. God, I fucking regret that so much. Well, I figured the way this movie was going, either it was foreshadowing that he was going to have to do something blinded later on in the movie, or he was going to have to catch a fish. But he does both, kind of, right? Well, he doesn't catch the fish. Only Tanaka catches the fish. No, we see him catch a fish. No, they told him later on he catches a fish as well. Yeah, well, hold on, hold on. We'll get but there. maybe we'll get he, he caught the big guy's balls or something later on. I don't know. So, yeah, now we get to the tree stretching scene. And I think that for some reason, in every Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, when he's a fighter of some sort, he has to do the stretching scene where he stretches himself into the splits. Always tied to. Yeah. Um, very much into bondage, I guess. Yeah. How many times does Jean-Claude Van Damme do his trademark splits in this movie? Seven times. Seven times. Seven times. Um, the only, and those funny because those are some of my favorite bits. And, and you know, growing up, to see someone do that and then, you know, do all those kicks and the high flyers, uh, pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, it was a kickboxer too. I think they did the tied-off thing as well. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I was trying to get to way back when when we were talking about it there's a scene in kickboxer just like that mm-hmm. and um i think my favorite scene in cyborg is when they're searching for him and he's doing the splits over the thing and he's holding a knife up like that as a dope shot but i digress so as he is remembering we see him become the fighter that he is and then he gets to go say goodbye to his mentor and, you know, he's determined to do this. There's nothing that's going to stand in his way because he is a captain in the army. And uh, before he goes to see his uh, his Shidoshi, the his uppers want to see him, 
Because they know he's going to go fight in Hong Kong. And they're like, bullshit, you're a fucking property of the United States government. You're not going anywhere, buddy. But he does anyway. After arriving in Hong Kong, Dukes befriends American fighter Ray Jackson and their guide, Victor Lin. When they arrive at the Kumite Arena, the officials are skeptical but eventually accept them after Dukes proves his connection to the Tanaka clan by performing the Dim Mak, Death Touch. Dukes earns the scorn of the ruthless Kumite champion Chong Lee after breaking his record for the fastest knockout. So this movie moves pretty quick, like I was saying, right? He leaves Tanaka. We're already in uh, Hong Kong. He's on the bus. And this is where we get to meet uh, his buddy Jackson, played by Donald Gibb. What do we know him from? Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. That's over. He's actually been in a lot of things. TV oh, shows yeah. on Nor- Night Court. You know, uh, he appeared in a lot of TV episodes, always playing a biker guy. Oh, for sure. For definitely uh, typecast. So they go to the hotel, they get their guide. Well, they, they're playing that Street Fighter game at first. What do you think of that whole bonding with the Street Fighter game? Uh, it wasn't Street Fighter. Well, I, it was it like... Was, like uh, it was Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, I played that game all the fucking time. Uh, or no, maybe it was Karate Champion. I think it was Karate Champion. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, that was a cute bit. Did you notice that what it said up in the upper right corner of the game? What did it say? While they're both playing, it says one player game. Oh, well, it, it appears that he only puts one coin in, mm-hmm. even though he tells, you know, Frank, don't worry about it. I want to take your money, you know. So there's there's this little bit. Uh, what did you guys think uh, about the relationship between Dukes and Jackson? Well, they first introduced Jackson kind of as I thought he was kind of a jerk in the beginning, the kind of the way he was talking to the woman on the bus. So I thought, oh, is it just going to be, you know, a side character? But no. It seemed to work out pretty well. I, I liked their interactions. Yeah, so did I. I thought that he was uh, amusing on the bus. You know, he's talking to that girl, and, you know, maybe she just doesn't know English. He's just being an allowed American, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of chucked it yeah. up to as well. So they meet. They kind of hit it off. And then uh, they meet their guide for the North American fighters, Lynn. I guess. Uh, Lynn. Oh, and also briefly, we are introduced to Janice. At the hotel bar. She's wanting to know about the, the fight, but the guys aren't talking. That's What's right. It? Hussein, I think she was talking to? No. That's, not, not at this point. This is yet. someone else. That's, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Janice is the reporter and the love interest because we have to have a love interest, right? Uh, so after that, Lynn takes Dukes and Jackson to the arena so they can check in. And they look at Frank's invitation and they're like, hold on, you're white. You don't look like a fucking Tanaka. And I, I always loved this interaction uh, with uh, Victor Lin. The judge is telling him, he, you know, he's saying his Shidoshi is Senzo Tanaka. And Lin's like, what's the difference if Bruce Springs is Shidoshi? And just the, that whole delivery I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so he has to prove it. And they tell him to perform the Dim Mac. And then I, did you notice what Jackson says? He says, what the hell's a dim Mac? Guy says, uh, death touch. Death touch. And they have these bricks lined up, and Frank looks at Victor and says, pick a brick. And then uh, Victor picks the top one, and before Frank hits it, the judge stops it and says, no, bottom one. What did you guys think of this sequence? I thought it was really enjoyable. It was a, a wonderful uh, introduction as to the prowessness of his skill set. 100%. I couldn't agree more. 
Yeah, and I, I like the scene. It, it, again, shows his special training, that he's gone through it all, and that he apparently knows what he's doing. Now, do you know what this scene is actually famous for? What it's a callback to? What's that? Well, right after it happens, what does Chung Lee say to him? Brick, not hit back. Oh, that's right. Bruce Lee, balls don't hit back. Exactly. It comes from... Uh, Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon that also... Bolo Young was in. Yes, Bolo he Young was. was in. Yeah. yeah, he he was. Yeah, he was a uh, uh, one of the nemesis that uh, Bruce Lee has to fight. And what I I love about you know the guy who plays Chung Lee, uh, he has talked about Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee put him in a lot of movies. And I guess they were really good friends. Yeah. yeah. So that's really good to know, kind of about this character and his background. And, yeah. You know, I would have been honored to have him in this movie if I was the director. He he has a unique uh, uh, element that he brings to the screen which is that he is a bodybuilder as well as a martial art mm-hmm. martial arts expert and because he's also a, bold, a bodybuilder his physical physique you know is intimidating he's fucking huge yeah. yeah and when he makes that crazy face yeah with that smile i mean you can't get that face out of your head yeah so after he proves that he is with the Tanaka clan, they allow him to fight. He's in the tournament. We go back to the hotel. And this is where we find Janice trying to get more information on the Kumite. But this time she's talking to Hussein, one of the fighters. And, you know, Hussein is a dick, obviously, right? Trying, you know, uh, he, he's telling her, you'll come to the room with us and you'll get your interview, but you're coming to the room. And, and Frank and Ray Jackson see what's going on. And so, you know, they intervene. steps in. Yeah. And this is the bit where Frank tells Hussein, uh, if you hold out your palm and if you can close your hand before I take the coin out of it, then she's yours. And, but if I win, she goes with me. And do you notice Janice's expression? Completely exasperated. I am not a piece of meat. I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and <laughs> You know, Jean-Claude's so Jean-Claude. He just looks at her and he says, plus me, right? So, and this is where we get the flashback to him catching the fish. Mm -hmm. So we know that he's fast and he does it. He takes the coin and not only takes it, but he replaces it with another, yeah, with another fucking coin. And, you know. I like the, uh, you lose American asshole. (laughs) (laughs) They have such great accents in this movie. Well, you know, not only the accents are great, but you have two screenwriters on this film, right? The dialogue that came out of this film, I, fuck, what did these two screenwriters really do? I think they wrote a lot of... Uh, it sounds like he's constipated over there, doesn't it, bud? A little. Yeah. Uh, no, those were all Jean-Claude. I'm wondering when they wrote the script and everything, if you actually had a copy of the script, if those... You know, grunts and stuff are actually written. In. I'm telling you, dude, that is Jean-Claude at his finest. When the director said, action, you just got dust thrown in your eyes. That's all Jean-Claude. 100%. They didn't dub that? No, I fucking hope not. <laughs> because it was fucking great. So the fight starts and we are introduced to each one of our main characters that are going to be carrying us through this tournament. Right, and you, we kind of get an idea of who's going to go to the finals, and this is also the bit where we get the song uh, Fight to Survive by Stan Bush. For 20 points, can anybody tell me what other song Stan Bush did for a 1986, I'll even help you out, animated movie? No. 
I got nothing. Do, does the line, you got the touch, mean anything to anybody? Yes, but I'm blanking. I used to love that song, too. You know what you're talking about, right? I, I know what you're talking about, but I, I'm, I'm You got the touch, right? You got the power. Transformers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Transformers with Optimus dying. So that was not when he was dying. When he died. I'm saying the movie he died. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Well, one of those childhood scars right up there oh. with Never Ending Story. So yeah, we get this song and we get the montage and we get all the fighters doing their thing. And uh, I love how when the the names go up on the board and the next people get up to fight, uh, Jackson gets up there and he looks at Frank and he goes, let me show you how it's done. Well, here's the thing I thought was a little weird in this scene and maybe they're told beforehand or something, but Jackson gets up and says, let me show you how it's done. And then his name flips up on the screw thing. So like he knew ahead of time he was going or something. Maybe he had a program. Are you sure? I'm pretty I feel sure like about that. you two weren't watching the same fucking film I was. It's true though. Oh, okay. Well, fuck. That's just an editing error. I think right? he just had a program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the fights were already predetermined. They were that could be right. I mean, they were just throwing them up there. They have to change them. I mean, you never know. You never know. Um, so what'd you think of Jackson's fighting style? Well, it, it cracked me up that, you know, the other guy's just hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. And then he just smacks the guy on the top of the head. Well, because he's so fucking big, yeah. right? He just rushes him and then pounds his nose in and it's over. And it's kind of funny because you look at all the other fighters who have kind of a somewhat style. He's one of the only fighters that I think I can only think of one other who shows no martial arts techniques whatsoever. And they're both big guys, mm-hmm. right? Because the other big uh, all guess, about Japanese the brute force. guy. Yeah. You know, so Ray wins and he goes back to his seat. Uh, and I, I forget the order of which they all fight. And I'm sure you Chung guys Lee will is go second. Th- oh, so I was right. <clears throat> so now we get to meet Chong Lee. Right. And his name goes up on the board and everybody starts chanting. And I love that Victor is kind of guiding them through and us as the audience of what's going on. That's what he does. Yeah. yeah. He, he's he's the uh, tour guide for, for the audience. Yes. And we learned that Chung Lee was the past. Had he won just one Kumite or had he won multiple? He, he won the last one yeah. is all he said. Oh, oh, did he? I thought he was an ongoing champion, mm-hmm. but I could have misheard, you know, Um because they all start chanting his name. And this is what I'm talking about. So, Chung Lee is a badass, right? And he dispatches of this guy pretty quick. And then at the end, after he wins, they all start chanting his name. And he's starting to get pumped up. There is no audio coming out of Bolo Young. None. Mm-hmm. It and is so strange. It just looks weird, right? Because he's so pumped up about, you know, the crowd chanting his name. And, you know, he's he's egging the audience on to chant his name even more, but he is silent. So after Chung Lee, it's Frank's turn. Well, I like the fact that Chung Lee's sequence, he breaks his own record. They give him the world record right there, but then we get Frank coming in, as you're saying. Right, and then... It's uh, the guy from the bar. Ironically enough, it's Hussein. And he says, now I teach you a trick or two. And uh, was that Russian? No, I think that was close to what he how he did it. Close enough. So Frank versus Hussein, and uh, it's what seven seconds is or eleven seconds. It's a new world record, and he doesn't it was even twelve point two, and he doesn't even fucking hit him right. He puts him down on the mat, and then he just like waves at him, and yeah. Hussein passes out. Yeah, does he use his mental force or something? Maybe, maybe he's a fucking Jedi. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, could um, be. Did you know that when Hussein gets back up and comes out in the second time, what happened with the elbow throw? You fucking hit him for real. Hit him for real and knocked his ass out. And that's the clip that they that the filmmakers used. That's mm-hmm. him actually. If you slow it down, and I, you don't even really need to slow it down, you see the contact and you see his head whip around. Um, yeah, fucking brutal. Well, this is where we get the second part to an earlier uh, foreshadowing scene in the bar when they really focused in on that gold tooth in his mouth. Did you yeah. notice that in the bar scene? Yeah. And of course, what's lying on the mat? The gold tooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So day one comes to a close. It was kind of amusing having uh, the uh, the montage of fights that were happening because several times you see the hits happen. So if I swing my right foot around and I hit you right across the face and then what do I do? I do not continue in the direction of the kick. I fall down in the opposite direction of the kick. That happens several times. It's like, uh, okay. Oh, he went the wrong way. That's (laughs) definitely one of the things I think this movie suffers from is bad editing. Yeah, maybe. Or somebody needs to hire a fucking continuity editor. Yeah, because there there was a lot of things where, you know, a hit would be thrown or someone have a bruise or something going on. It would disappear the next scene and then it would reappear in the previous, you know, the following scene. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, no movie is ever safe from that. Okay. But ironically, who is the, who is one of the choreographers for this movie? Jean-Claude Van Damme? No. He's one of them. Bolo Young? No. Chuck Norris? No. Steven Seagal? Come on. Really? Bruce Lee? No. He was dead. Frank Dukes? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Frank Dukes is one of the choreo, one of the fight choreographers for this movie. Did you know? That when he first met Jean-Claude, he didn't think that Jean-Claude was good enough. So he put him through a specialized training that Jean-Claude said was the hardest training he's ever been through in his life. Lasted yeah. three months. Yeah. Well, you got to admit, he's he's pretty ripped in this movie. Who? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, this made me fall in love with Jean-Claude Van Damme. This one. Now who's into that shower sequence? Uh, it doesn't have to be the shower sequence. I know, I'm just saying the muscles. And the- Man, I'm thinking, you know, every time it shows him when he's doing all of his meditation and stuff like that, and then right before, okay, ready, and, oh, wait. Come on, somebody get out of here with the spray. Get the oil on him. And action. <laughs> exactly. And I, 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 and that kind of, uh, I thought about that when uh, in the morning before the very first round, Jackson goes to get Dukes from his hotel room, and he walks in, and he's doing the splits on the chairs. And he is so fucking sweaty. He you know is glistening. I mean? He is shiny. Yes, he is. And, you know, I love, and that's a good bit because Ray walks in and like you were saying, he calls him out on it. He goes, man, you got to quit doing that shit. You might want to have kids someday, you know. But did you notice too that every time he was all sweaty and glistening, his hair was always nicely done and combed over. So not only did someone have to come up and spray him, but you know there had to be a hair person working on him as well. Yeah, I got to tell you guys, out of all the movies that we've just watched, this this being the fifth one, he's got the worst hair of all of them. You know what I mean? It can't make up its fucking mind. He's got a poof in the flashback. He's got a comb over in this one. I don't know. I just would have been better with the uh, the mullet from Roadhouse. Yeah, maybe. Put, put the Patrick Swayze mullet on him during this. Uh, two words for you, bud. Hard target. Yeah, good point. Am, am I right or am I yeah. right? Yeah. Dukes becomes involved with American journalist Janice Kent, who is investigating the Kumite. She sneaks into the arena by agreeing to a date with another spectator. On the second day, Jackson is matched against Chong Lee, 
Although Jackson comes close to defeating Lee, he wastes his time gloating, allowing Lee to recover and brutally beat him. Dukes visits Jackson in the hospital and vows to avenge him. After witnessing the brutality of the tournament, Kent argues with Dukes and tries to convince him not to return. Dukes tells her that he has to win in order to become the best he can be. Helmer and Rollins arrive in Hong Kong and contact local police inspector Chen. They begin asking around for Dukes and track him down to his hotel. A chase through the downtown ensues, but Dukes evades them when they fall into the canal. When Dukes arrives at the Kumite, Helmer and Rollins are waiting for him, along with Chen and four of his other officers. Dukes defeats them, but agrees to return with Helmer and Rollins after the tournament. So on day two of the tournament, we get more fighting. Um, Would you call these? I mean, they were such fast clips. Would you call it a montage of fighting? Was I can't remember if there was a song set to this one or not. There were so yeah, there were all all of the fighting montages were too like a music. It was like a music video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And then I would just call them like Professor just said a fighting montage for sure. Of all those little fights, did you kind of have a favorite one besides anything with Frank Dukes? Um, I liked Paco. Like we were saying earlier, there was one where, um, you know, he just beats the shit out of this guy with his knee and just will not fucking stop. And the camera gets close up on it. And, you know, the knee goes up in slow motion. It comes down. The face is all bloody. Um, I think Paco was probably my third favorite fighter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching him. There was two... Uh, shorter Asian guys that I thought put on the best kind of presentation when they were doing the stepping and stepping each other's foot spots. And I thought that of all the fighting styles really showed off really well with them. Yeah. And, and I also liked uh, the big, one of the big dudes, the other, the other big dude, the only other big dude that's there. Yeah. And the, the guy who had like the monkey fighting style. I, I thought when, when it cut to that, I'm like, Oh fuck, what a mismatch. Right. I mean, this, this, Monkey guy has no fucking chance. And I mean he kind of held his own for a second or two, but it made once me sad to Yeah, see once him the go. big guy got him, I mean it was fucking over. He just crushed the right? life out of the monkey guy. Yeah. Um I will say that, you know, with these fighting montages that we have on the first day and the second day, there's some uh very nice camera shots in here. I, I appreciate the low angle shots that we see. Uh, I also really enjoyed it when it had uh the the mat the fighting mat taking up the whole bottom of the screen and you have the each fighter on one side of the screen. And I, uh, I thought that some of the choreography that they had and how they set up some of these uh, montages, they were uh, fun to watch and I really appreciated the style. And it's just like, man, this inspired like a bunch of video games. Yeah. I was, uh, Mortal Kombat was directly inspired by yeah, this. Yeah, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. In fact, in Mortal Kombat, they created a character... Based on Jean Claude, yeah, Johnny Cage. Mm-hmm. He even does the splits. Yep, and has the double punch that yeah. Jean Claude does. Yeah, the dim mock. Um, yeah, this Bloodsport is probably one of my favorite fighting montage movies, if you will, because um, they're they're really fast. They're short, and there's a lot of them. Again, this movie fucking moves, and that's what I like about it. It also sure. feels like a video game, like you're watching a video game. I don't know about that. I mean, nowadays, now that these move games have come out back then, maybe not because we didn't have Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. But I felt like the characters are so over-exaggerated, their design of each one, 
that they all feel like video game characters. I don't know if they're over-designed. Um, that's all practical shit. They're really doing that martial arts stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when For me, when I think of video game, I think of more CGI, um, impossible stuff, like the, like the uh, oh, you get from well, Ken and Ryu, right? I, I mean, just think of the characters like the, the little monkey guy, the, the big Samoan guy. You know, they all just feel like they're so exaggerated. I, I just thought it was interesting thinking about how, how did they find these actors? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you have a casting call and you need to be good at hand to hand combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the the director saying, I mean, this is a, a, a worldwide tournament right? we're inviting uh, we're inviting fighters from all over the world. So you have to go out and find a bunch of fighters that are different, um, but can still, you know, rise to the occasion. I you know. am curious. How do you get an invitation how do you get on the you know the, the how do you get on the mailing list for this? So the first day wraps up, and then we find out that Helmer and Rollins they are now in Hong Kong, and they go to they uh, they find uh, Captain Chen, and he says, "I'm I'm overworked. No, just do what you can. Just show it to your men." Turns out he tips, he gets a tip, and he lets uh, he lets them know he's at the that uh, Dukes is at the hotel. And so they go confront him at the hotel. And then after they confront him at the hotel, we have this silly foot chase. Scene. Oh my God. And this I, is our big chase scene. I love the fucking song too. I don't know why, but it's, it's just kind stupidly of catchy. Song. Yeah, it really is. It works because of, of Van Damme being playful with, with the chase. Yeah. I think my favorite part of that is him running, stopping, turning around and going, ha ha, you can't catch me. And then keeps going like leaning against the wall. Yeah, And, and you know, as soon as Jean-Claude gets to the fucking boats and starts running across the boats, you're like, Oh, they're going to fall in the fucking water. You know, Laurel and Hardy, Hardy, mm-hmm. har, har. Uh, what'd you guys, what'd you guys think of Forrest Whitaker? He was fun to see in this. He is fun to see, right? It's kind of interesting. The character that they gave him, that he was always, you got the feeling that he must be new or, He's like just getting into because he's the one who's always come across really brass. And anytime he feels like someone's being sarcastic, he gets angry. But then the other one kind of calms him down and is always like, okay, we'll leave. We're good. Thank you for your time. And I think Forrest, you can tell what kind of actor he's going to be because every time he does get shut down, he has such a look of contempt on his face. Like, you motherfucker, what'd you just say to me? Right. Mm-hmm. And, but he conveys it really well. And I know it's silly because it's a very small bit role, but I mean, he fucking was awesome. I really enjoy For- Forrest Ritiker and fucking anything. Do we really. know, did he, what did he do before this? Or was this one of his first roles? This is one of his first roles. Yeah. So after, after this, uh, we have a romantic dinner and a romantic morning of with course. Janice. Of course. And did you notice that we don't get to see uh, the female form? nudity in this one like we did in the other movies we've watched it's the male you know do you think the director did that on purpose yeah i think that this was all these things were to basically get the girls okay with going to the guys the guys want to come see the martial arts so bring your date along well that was the candy to the girl so yeah we're in the day two and uh now it's time for jackson versus chong lee and you know when when you first meet frank and ray you kind of hope oh god i hope they don't have to fight each other because you know frank's gonna kick his ass right before that though dukes fights who's he fight he fights the big guy oh he does fight the big guy you're absolutely right um 
And, you know, he does whatever he can to win. And I, this is probably one of my favorite moves from Jean-Claude, right? Uh, the big guy goes to rush him. He drops down into his split pose, and he hits him in the nards. But before that, he gives him the dimak in his fucking stomach, and the dude takes it. Yeah, and that was impressive. And you watch him stagger, and you're thinking, wait, he's going to fall over dead in just a second. But he doesn't, and he comes at him again, and then he hits him with the dimak again there yeah right in his balls uh and then you know classic stands up he's gonna hit him again but he's woozy 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 so he just pushes him over and the fight's over very satisfying right i i feel like you know besides maybe the last fight scene this was his toughest fight oh i don't not at all you think it was uh i don't I, i don't think he uh maybe paco paco i don't think he had any tough fights I know this one, like he looked, you know, one point kind of gave that surprise look when it did nothing. Like, what's he going to do against this guy? Yeah, but I don't think that made it tough for him. Okay. I don't. Uh, Here's the problem with Dukes. Uh, He's almost too perfect. He moves so mechanically in his fighting style. It it, it feels robotic in a way. Until he gets up in the air and starts swinging his feet around. Yeah. That dude can fucking kick. Those, I mean, cinematically. And visually, Jean-Claude can throw a really nice high jumping roundhouse, right? And that's what we as the audience want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else, I think you're right, Professor. I think there is kind of a, a, a mechanical feel to it and, and, and just kind of a stiffness, but right? it does set him apart when we watch him because each one of these fighters look unique in their own way that they fight. Oh, 100%. Right. You know, when we when we look at each one of those characters, we recognize them for their mannerisms. (laughs) Stupidly enough for Chong Lee, it's the bouncing pecs. So here's the fight. Jackson versus Chong Lee. Right off the bat, you have to know how it's going to go down. My problem with this fight is and this is no fault through the actors. I feel it was written very poorly. Jackson was an idiot celebrating that's and that's what i'm talking about right dukes goes into him and dukes is kind of being really concerned he's like uh hit him in the stomach because he's weak there and stay away from his right leg Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and you know uh jackson's like oh don't worry about it and when i'm first watching this for the first time i'm thinking no dude you're gonna fucking get killed (gasps) they're gonna kill him they're gonna kill him that's what i I really thought he was gonna die yeah yeah um but he doesn't thankfully uh but jackson does he gets the upper hand for like 10 seconds knocks him down and he doesn't finish him off but i think that that scene went on for way too long he was celebrating like for four minutes it's felt like you know jumping around frankie i did it i'm gonna get him i get him and you know frank's uh turn around no mm-hmm. it was more arnold too wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah i did read somewhere that the scene where Chong Lee stomps him on the head was another thing taken from a Bruce Lee movie where Bruce Lee actually stomps someone like that and they get the same angle of looking up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's Enter the Dragon. So this right? movie really was an, um, you know paid homage to a lot of Bruce Lee stuff. And, and how can you not? Because mm-hmm. remember when the bearded guy, you know, he's defeated in, in front of the school and then he breaks the bottle and he comes at him? Yeah. Remember he breaks the two bottles and then... And then um, Bruce Lee finishes him off with a with a high jump up a, into the. Is his shirt ripped, N- or is it off by that point? Wasn't because it written every no, movie? Well, you, but, no, he, no, professor knows what no, I'm saying. He had, no, it was white. And then and then he he jumps up in the air and it, and and 
he comes back down and it's slow motion and, and you hear the crunch and then you see his face shaking a little bit. Yep. I know exactly the scene you're talking about because that same exact clip is in the last dragon. So as you were saying though, we all thought uh, Jackson was dead. Absolutely. Right. And, but he's not, he just gets his ass pummeled. This is another bit where, you know, Chung Lee's all kind of excited, but he's not making any fucking noise. He grabs off the bandana and is shaking it around. Right. So he takes Jackson's bandana. He doesn't even growl. He doesn't say nothing. It's not until... Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Then we go to our hospital scene with uh, Jackson in a coma or something. Yeah. Well, he just got his face fucking stomped on. And you know what? For someone who just got his face stomped on... He looks pretty good. He looks pretty Mm. fucking good. Just a little blood spot on the bandage. Nice convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Frank and Janice get into an argument. She doesn't want to see him die. And he she doesn't understand how important this is to him. And this is something that he has to do. Well, I feel like we get two of our 80s action tropes right in the same place. One of them, best friend has to get beaten up or die. Because, you know, our hero needs something to really fire up his rage. And the second one is that someone has to tell him to stop. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe uh, definitely the partner or mm-hmm. definitely the, the sidekick or whatever. Uh, and then we get a, a musical sequence and, you know, he's got to reflect and he's got to look out the window of the subway. He's got to do the splits again. And he's got to see. <laughs> but that centers him. I dude. love the way Chong Lee looks in that reflection in, in, while, when he's on the train. Right. And uh, the way Jean-Claude snaps back to, you know, is yeah. it really, is he really here? <laughs> he's in his head. Um, You know, and you're right. He has to end it with the splits and it has to be this uh, shot of him overlooking Hong Kong and him looking all Jean-Claude. <laughs> all Jean-Claude. Um, and now we are on to day three. And he is making his way to the tournament. And in the meantime, Janice went to uh, the police, Captain Chen. Janice went to Captain Chen and he told the guys and now uh, the police and Helmer and Rollins and Janice, I guess, are waiting for Frank as he's trying to enter into the arena. So he goes in, you know, he beats them all up. This and, is almost comical, him just going through and knocking everybody as they come out the doorways. Yeah, what yeah, are, it really what, is. What are they thinking? What are the police thinking? We should take this fighter. We, we're going to apprehend him one of us at a time because, you know, what else would you do with a fighter? Take him. Yeah, a guy who's fighting in the Kumite. This is another scene, and I know you disagreed earlier, but this is another scene that feels very video game to me. On any level in a video game where you know, you're walking towards the boss guy, there's always these little guys that pop out that you have to knock down or kill along the way. All right, that one I'll give you because it was. It was very just, you know, they yeah, they would set him up, he would knock him down. Mm-hmm. He gets to the door and to the main people or whatever, and he... Turns the tables on him, gets their stun gun. I love the size of their stun guns back Oh, my there. God. Those were so funny. Yeah. Where were they hiding, though? It's like, were they clipped on? Were they? Yeah, probably. Those are huge caranels around Hong Kong. I know. I know. And he tells them, you know what? You're not going to stop me. You can't stop me. I'll see you at the airport tomorrow. And so, naturally, they all go to watch him. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, hey, look at this. It's the final day, and there's... Three seats right here in the middle front. Huh. 
Yeah. It's like they were saved or reserved for these people. Yeah. Can we see your tickets? Oh, you're you're right there. Oh, yeah. Right, right there, smack dab in the front. Well, that and I thought it was kind of convenient that they just tried to stop one of the top fighters from the Kumite of even getting into it. They wanted to take him down, kind of, you know, hurt the event. They still let these three people in to watch the show. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they had those two guys at the door in the beginning that were blocking everybody unless they had special invitations and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. On the final day, Lee kills his semifinal opponent, much to the consternation of the crowd. Fearing defeat, Lee conceals a salt pill in his waistband before the final match against Dukes. When Dukes gains the upper hand, Lee blinds him by crushing the pill and throwing it into Dukes' face. Dukes falls back on his training from Tanaka, who taught him to fight blindfolded, overcome the handicap, and defeating Lee. The next day, he bids farewell to Kent and Jackson before returning to the United States with Helmer and Rollins. Roll credits. Um, on this third day, I think he fights Paco. Yeah, yeah, his first fight of day three is with Paco. Right, because... Yeah, because it's the final four. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about that in my head. So what would you guys think about the fight between him and Paco? I dug the uh, trading kicks part. Yeah, I th- I think this was probably his most challenging fight next to Chung. Mm-hmm. You know, as they traded, you know, okay, you got a kick? I, okay, well, how about this? Right. Okay. And, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And then uh, Dukes gets the upper hand, obviously, because he has to win. And uh, he defeats Paco. And now we have Chung Lee and his semifinal opponent. And, you know, I when they make it a point to tell you that Chung Lee killed a guy in last year's Kumite, you kind of had to expect that it was coming uh, in this year's. And since he didn't kill Jackson, we can only assume that this poor schmuck's going to get killed. And he does. He fucking kills him. Yeah, but did you notice that when he had the guy down and the guy was supposedly dead, his stomach was still moving? No. No, I didn't look. He was still breathing. That's one of the goofs they list for this movie. Wow. Oh, well, I didn't notice it. So um, I like the bit where after the ref realizes that his opponent is dead, he looks at the judges and then the judges stand and everybody stands and they turn their backs to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was classy, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I was wondering at first if they were turning their backs on him or if they were just turning to face a certain direction to honor the fighter that died. No, they're turning their backs on him because that's that's not called for. Because the crowd really isn't turning their backs. They're turning just the same direction as, you know, the judges. But they're it's still kind symbolic. Of they're yeah. turning their backs to him. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sakes, this guy. I thought for sure Chong Lee was going to yell out something to the crowd, you know, for, you know, not for all turn everybody turning their backs on him but he doesn't he just does the little wave thing well know. he uh, well he goes over to frank you are next you break my record no. now i break you well that's before they start fighting oh, okay yeah but but you're right he does say that uh so here we are the final match what do you think of the design of the ring that they changed it i didn't really understand why i i, I get making the final match a bigger ring I guess if you will, because, I mean, let's be real. If you can just throw your opponent off the fucking mat, you win. I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Jackson relied on that throughout the entire tournament, right? It doesn't really matter how good you fucking are. If you can get the guy off the fucking mat somehow, you win. So all they do is they extend it and raise it. I thought the angle of 
being raised was uh, so that they get the higher jumps. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm I'm sure that's what it was for, you know. Yeah, for some sort of an advantage in fighting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, higher ground. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Th- Obi Wan. That that's what I thought of. I really liked this final fight scene, but it was edited so much. You really only got little clips of a punch here, and then we're edited to another scene of another kick. You know, Frank getting tossed all over the place. Weird kind of, like, they show him being thrown, but they don't show him landing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is what it is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we also find out that Chong, Chong Lee plans to cheat if he has to. He puts a salt pill in his, his waistband. And, you know, Frank's kind of handling him pretty easily up until this point. He's kind of kicking uh-huh. his ass. Kind of. Yeah. And then finally, Chung Lee crushes the salt pill, throws it in Frank's eyes, and now he has to fight blinded. So why didn't the ref say anything? Why didn't anybody say anything? That cloud of whatever the white salt had to be seen by everybody. And you can see him taking out the fucking thing and crushing it. But I'm also wondering, they said it was full contact, Maybe there wasn't rules against it. Yeah, maybe. And that's kind of where I was at. But, you know, when you see it for the first time, you're like, that motherfucker's going to cheat. Mm-hmm. And he does. Makes mm-hmm. you wonder if he cheated in the first time around. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know. But that dude's so fucking big. I don't know if he has to cheat against Frank because, mm-hmm. you know, Frank was the ultimate match. Um, So Frank is blinded and he's got to recall and rely on his training from Tanaka. Uh, but these are the bits that we get that we were talking about earlier. And Jean-Claude's, oh, how do I say this? Uh, overacting-ness? Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole thing? It was odd to have combined the slow motion with those grunts and yells. I, 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 don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I, it always weirds me out every time I see those. Yeah, every time I watch it, I kind of go, what the fuck were they thinking? And I kept thinking, too, why isn't Chong Lee just kicking his ass right now? Like, what, is he out celebrating? Is he pulling a Ray Jackson? I, I was just going to say that. He was pulling a fucking Ray Jackson. Yeah. That's what I thought. So I guess in order to fight in the Kumite, if you get the upper hand, you need to celebrate for a while mm-hmm. before you get back onto your opponent, which is weird, which is weird. But anyway, it had to give Frank time to uh, recuperate and, and have a montage and have a montage or a flashback. So Chung Lee finally decides to take advantage and takes a swing at Frank and Frank catches it uh, just like he did with Tanaka's hand when they're having the blind tee. And then the beat starts to kick in and he throws a kick and now Frank is back and he it looks like he's blind fighting. But I, I feel like he can see a little well, that, bit. They showed that he kind of could see a little bit of a blurriness. Yeah. Blurry lights. Yeah. 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 I did like the scene where Chong Lee kind of throws the ref at him and Frank almost punches the ref, but then doesn't. And I kept, I mean, back when I first saw him, I'm like, how did he know? And then I thought Chong Lee was not wearing uh, a robe or whatever. So that's how he must have known that this was not Chong Lee. Yeah. Uh, Jean Claude makes it a point to feel his robe and like, oh, wait, you're not the fucker. You know? So inevitably. Uh, Jean-Claude wins with a series of round kicks, uh, which I thought were beautifully shot, but it's the same shot, Mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's the same shot from maybe a couple of different angles used four times uh, just to show us that Jean-Claude can do these pretty kicks. Um, So he gets Chong Lee on the ground and, you know, he's not going to knock him out. He's not going to throw him on the fucking mat. 
he's going to make them say mate. Now, say uncle. One of our things in our must-haves is, you know, a oh crap death scene. I felt like kind of this was an oh crap defeat scene because he made the big bad give up. I'll buy that. I'll run with that because yeah. you're right. He doesn't, it's not a death. I mean, cause it's, it it's is, a defeat though. Yeah. And it's foreshadowed in the early on when we get to hear like kind of the three ways to defeat your opponent, you know, about saying the mate, but I honestly, the first time I saw it, I didn't see that coming. So that to me, that was an old crap moment. Well, well there you go. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely big, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Chung Lee was huge. Um, so Frank wins, makes him say mate like a little bitch. And he gets his sword. Yep, he wins his sword. <laughs> this is for you, Shidoshi. And then we cut to, which I think is probably, and this is going to sound silly, I think this is probably my favorite scene in this fucking movie. Back at the hospital? Back yes. at the hospital. It's a really good scene. It really is. It, there's, And you know what sells it? And you're making that fucking face, and fuck you, comic book guy. <laughs> What really sells it is when, uh, you know, they're talking to him and he says, uh, or Janice says, worse, he made him say mate. And the look that Jackson gives Dukes and Duke says, the next time you fight, try to keep your clothes on. And he gives him. I wasn't bad, right? Mm -hmm. And he gives him the bandana and it's Jack. It's what Jackson says. Yep. Anytime, Anytime. Anywhere. You ever need me, I'll be there. Yes, and I fuck it. it it's something about it. I know it. I, no, you understand. It right? works. No, I it will works. agree with you 100. percent I wish they had ended it there. Oh no, 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 no! The best part's coming up, dude. <laughs> I like that <laughs> when he turns and goes, "I love you, my friend," and then he kisses him. That to me, that wasn't me. That was just a weird. Why two guys can't show their affection and kiss each other like that because they're best friends? No, because they only known each other for like three days. You That's, can't admit someone you love someone in three days. Why? Who says so? Says it's the guy with no heart. Okay, well that's what I thought. Fuck this guy, right? It's it not. did make me with that line want a sequel. I did want to see a Bloodsport two with both of them coming back. Oh, I never wanted to see a Bloodsport two at all. Um, which is funny because we kind of got it in Kickboxer yeah. and Lionheart. Well, they actually did make three more sequels to this movie. All of them, I think, went straight to video. All of them are forgettable. And none of them are about Frank Dukes. Yeah. So. Uh, Jackson, I guess, and I don't remember the second one very well, but Jackson does come back in the second one. Oh, does he really? Supposedly. I, I don't know how big of a scene it is. Yeah, I've never seen him. No desire to. Uh, did you know that Frank Dukes and Jean-Claude Van Damme co-wrote a movie called The Quest mm-hmm. with Roger Moore. And who's who directed that? Was it Roger Moore? No. No, it wasn't Jean-Claude. Yes, it was. Oh, it was Jean-Claude. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen it? No, but I'm strangely uh, curious about it. Mm-hmm. I saw it in the theater, because again, I was a big fucking Jean-Claude nut. Um I don't remember it that much. I do remember the feeling of, oh, I thought it was, I wish it was more. That's a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme Damme movies. Can we touch base oh so briefly? It was amusing at the end of the fight how how much, um, you know, Janice, she supposedly doesn't like the fighting at all, but when he's winning and kicking somebody else's ass, she's all for it. It's like being a fucking broncos fan right when the broncos are winning i'm on fucking cloud nine but when they're losing i'll tell everybody to fucking go to hell 
<laughs> that Helmer, Helmer and Rollins, they're cheering by the end of the day. Because they know he's a badass, right? And so uh, after the tournament, Frank is a man of his word. We, we cut to the airport. Rollins and... Uh, he's not going to show. Yeah, they're like, dude, he fucking did it to us again. And then he's already in the fucking plane. He's at the top. Yeah. and <laughs> Always late. <laughs> and I do like the bit uh, where she shows up. And he, you know, gives her like a salute, kind of a wave goodbye. And then she gives him the, you know, the the bow. Mm -hmm. And then something about him changes. He gets serious and he bows to her. And I, I just thought it was a cool moment. And then we get all the accolades. And then we get all the accomplishments that Frank has had since then and blah, blah, blah. You know, after telling, uh, mm -hmm. telling the audience what he's been up to. You know, and then we roll the credits and the movie's over. Now, are you familiar with the controversy behind the movie Bloodsport? That it was all bullshit? Yes. Yeah, basically, it came out that Frank Dukes, first of all, one of the big things is he never really served in the Army full-time. He, right. he was a reserve yep. person. Uh, that there is no record of him ever winning any karate competitions. That... Um, one of them, one of the things that is stated at the end that he won something like fifty six matches in one Kumite competition. If that was the case, if you think about it, to win against fifty six opponents in kind of a, a you know a tree style uh, competition, he would have had basically there would have had to have been over two billion fights to win fifty six times. There's more fights than the population on Earth. If you think of the way the tree spreads out, so there's a lot of things that just don't add up. Um, they can't find any record of a Kumite. He claimed that the Kumite actually took place in the Bahamas that year. No record of that. Uh, his sensei, uh, they can't find any record of this guy that ever, that he ever existed. In fact, uh, what was his name? Tanaka. Tanaka is the, the actual first and last name was actually taken from a James Bond book by Ian, Ian Fleming. He was a character in that book. So there's just a lot of things that don't add up. One of the biggest ones was uh, Frank Dukes sued a magazine for libel, claiming that you know they had called him a liar and, call, and said that he made up everything. He sued. He lost. One of the reasons he lost was one of the people produced a receipt that showed he bought his Kumite trophy. Yeah, right. Like I said, it was all bullshit. Yeah. So, But you know, the more I think about it, he still gave them a good story to make a good movie. Yeah, so, so I, I I don't care that it didn't happen. Yes. I, I was a little bummed, you know, that it was all bullshit. Ah, okay, whatever. The story, uh, and the guy who wrote the story, Ledich, he even admitted he was friends with Frank Dukes, and he didn't believe him either. He thought it was all bullshit. But it sounded like a good story, and that's why Bloodsport came to be. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe that there's probably somewhere in there a kernel of truth to what dukes is talking about but by and large that it's a work of fiction sure and and really the only thing that it really kind of bums me out and really the only thing that kind of bums me out about it is if that's bullshit then so are his fighting skills and frank dukes in this movie was fucking undefeated right i mean he was the perfect fighter he had no care in the world he Every time he went out to the ring, he fucking won, right? And so maybe he wasn't really that good. But then you think, well, it is a story. Mm -hmm. And he probably was telling Ledich, Dukes was probably telling Ledich these stories of, you know, I fought this and I fought that. And like any 
uh, narrator would do, make himself look good. And that's probably what they did here. And, you know, I was going to ask you guys, we've talked about uh, the four previous action heroes that we've talked about. Now let's throw in Frank Dukes, who wins in a fight. Frank and, Dukes? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking Dukes Both. hands down, yeah, right? Definitely. But if everything's bullshit, does he still win hands down? We are talking about our character that we see in the movie. So it is a character. Do you think he can dodge bullets or catch bullets? I'm with you. Why? Who else dodges bullets? Cobra shooting at him. That's just what I was thinking. That if, if, you know, everyone else is kind of a fighter, Cobra is more about the weapons. But I thought we were kind of approaching this just from a fight. If fight standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hope Chuck Norris could give him. He's too fast, man. I was watching that last night. I was thinking about it. Chuck Norris was a badass when Mm -hmm. he was younger. Um, and and then, and not even that should matter, but, uh, Van Damme was too fast for, uh, the more I think think about it, David Carradine was kicking his ass for a little while. A little bit. Right. So a little bit, a little bit. I think, um, I think he kicks Dalton's ass. I think mm -hmm. he kicks McQuaid's ass. I think he kicks Richard's ass and I think he kicks Cobra's ass. Also, he seems to be the one that can take the abuse. Yes. Yes. Let me ask you another question. Fire away. If you put any of our heroes from other movies against our bad guy from this movie, Chong Lee, do you think they could take Chong Lee down? I think Dalton can. You think Dalton? I think um, I think Cobra finds a way. I think Dalton I think is- it's more of a I think if it's uh, with with Richards, I think Richards lasts longer just because he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think him and Bolo can trade punches. Yeah, I think with Dalton especially, Dalton's good at spotting the weaknesses. He's good at spotting you know, where to specifically hit someone. And he would have just like uh, Frank would have spotted the weakness in the stomach. Sure. All right. Here's a fun thought. What about if you were to take Wilkes from Lone Wolf and put him up against Chong Lee from Bloodsport? Oh, Chong Lee wipes the fucking mat with him no. in seconds. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. In seconds. I think Wilkes would have cheated just like Chong Lee and Wilkes would have put a, pulled out a gun and probably shot Chong Lee. That's probably more accurate. Good question. Good question. All right. So what else can we really say about Bloodsport? I suppose, John, you have something to do with the Lord of the Rings, a comparison or something. Oh, dude. Fuck. You know I do. <laughs> and now it's time for John's moment. This is the point in our podcast where I like to compare every movie we review to one of the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So let's just get right into it. We'll begin with our fellowship that's made of Frank Dukes, Ray Jackson, Senzo Tanaka, and Victor Lin. Frodo is obviously our main hero, Frank Dukes. It's his journey that we are witnessing throughout the movie. So who is the lovable sidekick that helps Frodo most on his journey? Who is our Sam? That would be Ray Jackson. He's the one who early on befriends Frank. He helps him keep on his path more than once during the movie, including the time where he comes and gets him when the bus is ready, tackling the agents when Frank is about to be arrested, and actually even when he gets defeated and put into the coma, gives our Frodo that little extra bit of encouragement that helps, you know, helps him beat Chong Li in the end. Like Frodo's love for Sam, 
Frank even expresses his love for Jackson at the end of the movie. For Gandalf, I picked Senzo Tanaka. He's the one who first unwittingly put Frodo on this journey. It was his training, guidance, and encouragement that gave our hero the tools he needed to win. He serves as a teacher, a guide, and a source of inspiration for Frank. As for Agent Helmer and Agent Rollins, I see them as the Nazgul or Ring Wraiths. In the movie, they weren't so much after the ring specifically, but they were focused on ending our hero's journey before he could succeed. While not intentional, they were helping Sauron. If they had succeeded, Sauron would have won. Some might argue that their comical actions might put them more into a Merry and Pippin category, but not so much. At no time did they try to help our hero like Merry and Pippin. So who is our Sauron? Well, obviously, that's going to be Chong Li. He's the big bad who uses any means necessary to win his prize. He keeps an eye on our hero's progress throughout his journey. Now, what is the precious, the one ring in Bloodsport? This was a tough one. I needed to find something that had a corrupting factor on our hero, something that was bad for him, yet also useful at times, something that had to be given up or destroyed before our hero could complete his journey. Normally, I would go for something metaphorical like greed, pride, or vanity. But in Bloodsport, it's a physical something, or should I say someone, that unintentionally is the ring. I am picking Janice Kent, the reporter, doing the story on the Kumite as our ring. In the beginning, she seemed like a good influence, a boost to our hero. But after she gets a taste of the Kumite, she runs to the police and tries to end both the Kumite and our hero's journey. If she had gotten her way, Frank would have never won. Unwittingly, she was helping Sauron, Chong Li. Therefore, that makes her the one ring. Frank is able to overcome her interference, the corruption, in the alleyway and move ahead with his journey. It's in that alleyway that he ends the ring's effect, making that alley our Mount Doom. Like Frodo parts with the ring before returning to the Shire, Frank leaves her at the airport before returning home. And that's my comparison between Bloodsport and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. Hmm. Uh, Frodo and Sam, those are very clear uh, comparisons. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think Tanaka also being Gandalf. Yeah, I, I can go for that. And obviously, Chong Li is going to be Sauron. So the ring, uh, I'm feeling pretty wishy-washy about it. So this is... Well, this is real tough. It's right on the border between a C plus and a B minus. Do I get any bonus points for my ring rates? I no. Okay, not me. So I don't know. Uh, I'll give you a B minus. Oh, thank you, thank you, Professor. Well, he is a lot nicer than I am. Um, <clears throat> Frodo and Sam. You know, clear uh, Gandalf. You said that they were the. You said Rollins and. Was it Rollins? Yeah, Rollins the and two Helmer. Agents. Yeah. You said that Rollins and Helmer were the ring wraiths, and I could see that correlation, but the ring wraiths worked for Saruman, right? And you for said Sauron. For Sauron. Um, but they didn't work for Chung Li. So in my as soon as you said that, 
And I'm just, just as soon as I, as soon as you said that, I thought, wow, did he just call the U.S. government Sauron? <laughs> I thought that too, to be honest. But I also thought unwittingly they are doing his bidding. Well, I, so, it's a hard comparison. I agree. Oh, it, it, well, the whole thing is a hard comparison because uh, I don't like the ring comparison. And and I, as I was watching it last night, I was thinking, fuck, what is he going to do? Because I couldn't find one. You know, there's always something that, you know, the hero has to overcome or let go, like the ring. And, and Frank doesn't have that really. He was perfect from the start is the problem. And that's kind of the what I was saying earlier, right? When we were talking about the fighters, he was perfect. So, you know, um, nice try. And you fucking put your time and effort into it. And um, I did, uh, I saw Chong Lee more of as like an Urukai, the one that fights Aragorn in Fellowship. You know, kind of that big, and maybe it's just the stature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to give you a solid C on that because you know it still worked. It still yeah, worked. It definitely was tough coming up with the ring because it had to be something that almost ended the hero's journey, that really stopped him from getting to you know the final victory. So the only thing I could find really was Janice Kent because she, when she went and tried to end the whole thing. You know, that was the big thing. I mean, she seemed like such a good thing in the beginning, but in the end, she kind of screwed him. And, and I kind of see the correlation. I see where you're going with that. So, you know, you know, good try. Again, this one was a hard one to do. And that was John's. Moment. All right. So what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I'm ready to rate this bitch. You ready to rate this bitch? Oh. <laughs> Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. You're ready to watch that anytime somebody says, you want to watch that? Yes, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you're one and done. You've seen it and you have no desire to see any of it ever again because it's just, it does not interest you in any way whatsoever. Draw you back to say, uh, no, I don't want to see any of it. And what's a zero? A zero is somebody owes me two hours of my life back. You know, that Chuck Norris roundhouse kick I talked about last week. Well, you are definitely getting a Jean-Claude Van Damme roundhouse kick that just lays you flat. Fuck, I am out. And some salt to the eyes. There you go. Uh, Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, Professor, kick us off. All right, so when we talked about uh, our 80s action movies, Believe it or not, this was one of the first ones that came to mind for me was Bloodsport. It's a guilty pleasure watch for me, and I enjoy lots of little moments of this movie. And the uh, the acting of Jean-Claude Van Damme is, oh, it is dreadful. And n- no offense to the guy, but, you know, he, he is not a good actor. But uh, his physical prowessness in this movie is impressive. And I really enjoyed watching him uh, do his craft of martial arts it always makes me riveted to the screen to watch how he is doing what he does. I thought that the uh, tournament was a really fun concept for the movie. Chong Lee was an excellent uh, nemesis, the antagonist that uh, just you know captivates the audience and everybody, you know, audience in the movie, audience watching the movie. All eyes are on him for a good reason. He is a wonderful antagonist for this movie. Janice, I thought that she was uh, cardboard. You know, she was she was nothing special to the movie. And the fact that it's based on 
probably fictitious events through and through. I am indifferent about it, whether it's based on a true story or not based on a true story. I don't care. I thought that the movie in general uh, had some good cinematography to it. The fight sequences were always interesting to watch. Having the different fight styles of each one of our different characters as revealed throughout the movie made it for an enjoyable watch. In general, it's a, a pretty straightforward movie. It's a fight tournament, and it takes place over three days. For the most part, it is nothing uh, that I think is going to be uh, fantastic. It is a middle-of-the-road movie in general, but I enjoyed it myself. I'm giving it three fucks. Three fucks from the professor. Would you like me to go next? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay, well, I'm going to start this off by doing my review blood sport style. So here we go. Three fucks. And three fucks from the comic book guy. May I translate that review? Oh, fuck, do you have to? I'd like to. All right, go ahead. Okay. Does Bloodsport deliver on the must-haves for a classic 80s action movie? A strong hero with quotable one-liners? Well, this is another movie where the hero does the talking mostly with his fists and feet. So, And, of course, there are a lot of grunts and groans. So... I am not so strong on the one-liners. Crazy level supervillain that our hero can, you know, that only our hero can beat. Chong Lee does feel pretty overpowered in this movie, except when it comes to Frank Dukes. Montage, get plenty of those in this movie. Chase and fight scenes, lots of good fight scenes. Only one real chase scene, and that's an on-foot scene. A villain speech, well, short and sweet from Chong Lee. A final showdown, which I thought was pretty well choreographed, maybe not the best editing. You know, there were scenes where Von, Von Dom's hair in that fight would go from being really sweaty and matted down to all of a sudden perfectly good again to matted down again. So, again, editing hurt that a little bit, but I thought overall did a pretty good job. An old crap death scene for a bad guy. Well, like I said earlier, I did feel oh crap when he said Matei, so the defeat kind of... Over, you know, overcame that for me franchise franchise potential while it did spawn a lot of bad sequels uh it did go on to inspire street fire and mortal Kombat, two of my favorite games so i gotta give it props for that and the 90 minute runtime comes in at 92 minutes so almost hit its mark i remember when i was 16 years old being so excited about this movie partly because I heard that it was not going to be shown in some theaters and it was this big risque movie. I really wanted to see it and I was really into martial arts movies at that time. I had already seen No Retreat, No Surrender and I wanted to know a little bit more about this Jean-Claude guy. I wanted to see him actually star in a movie. So I got my wish. After that, I admit, I actually became a big Jean-Claude fan and I went to see all of his movies uh, during the 80s except for Black Eagle. I think that was the only one I didn't see in the 80s. This movie did not disappoint me back then, and it's still fun to watch today. I did find it a little bit disappointing when I found out that, you know, this whole true story wasn't really a true story. But as we mentioned, it's a good story. It's a good movie. And even knowing that it really didn't happen doesn't you know, really diminish from anything that the movie did bring forth for the martial arts action movies. Rewatching this movie from a critical viewpoint it's easy to see a lot of, you know, misedits, goofs, and a good dose of overacting. But then again, it's what I expect from a movie like this. 
Bloodsport is definitely in my top five movies for martial arts action movies. I'd even go to say that it's possibly number two on that list. What is number one? Well, that's a topic for another review. But for classic 80s action movies, it falls short of some of our must-haves and didn't deliver compared to some other movies. So for that reason, I'm giving Bloodsport three fucks. It's a top martial arts action movie, better than Lone Wolf McQuaid in my opinion, but doesn't give us enough of what we expect from a classic action movie. Kumite, kumite, kumite. What the fuck was that? All right, well, I guess it's my turn now. Uh, I remember seeing Bloodsport probably, I didn't see it in the theater, I know that, because I was in the eighth grade when it came out. And really, I have my older brother Eric to thank uh, for this because he introduced me to Jean-Claude and, you know, every movie after Bloodsport uh, we saw together uh, up until, I don't know, 90-something um, but anyways, uh, blood sport does pop into my mind, uh, as soon as you say eighties action movie and Jean-Claude pops into my mind as soon as you say, you know, eighties action star, was he as big as Arnold and Sly at the time? No, but he was just getting started. Jean-Claude kind of has the same problem that Arnold has. He can't really act um the language barrier and you just can't understand what he says sometimes and he does come across stiff and almost cardboard at times but he's got a little bit of charisma and i fucking tell you those jumping kicks are pretty fucking phenomenal the action in this movie is really non-stop it, the movie goes 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 there's only really three bits where it doesn't the beginning where he's getting trained, and the bits in between each round of the tournament. Other than that, it's fight, 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 fight. And like I've said all night long, you know, this movie is very well paced. Uh, not greatly edited. I mean, there's continuity issues and jump cuts, and sometimes the voices don't match. But as I was watching it last night, I kept thinking to myself, this movie was made for $2 million in 1988. Not a huge budget, right? And, you know, I'm sure that the director and the production uh, used some tricks to make it look at more scale than it was. And But overall, it, it had a look and a feel very much of the old Hong Kong movies. And it kind of paid homage to those movies. Bloodsport will always be one of my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movies forever. Bolo Young, Chong Li was intimidating. Uh, Janice was your typical uh, love interest. Uh, I really enjoyed Forrest Whitaker and the other dude who played the guys chasing him down. And Victor Lin, I, I enjoyed his character. He kind of brought your comic relief and he was a fun way to narrate to us the audience of what was going on how the tournament worked so on and so forth is this a perfect 80s action movie no is it better than some of the ones that we've already been watching yeah absolutely um but for me blood sport will always hold uh, a place in my heart uh, just because of the time of when i watched it and growing up and how many times i fucking watched it um and so for that reason i am giving blood sport 3.5 fucks okay 3.5 fucks so if we've got two threes and a 3.5 where did where does that put us on the list what, what does that average out to 
3.2 fucks. 3.2 fucks overall for the blood sports. So 3.2 fucks. That puts our movie in second place. Second place behind what? Roadhouse. So we have in the lead Roadhouse. And then we have Bloodsport. And then we have The Running Man. And then we have Cobra. And rounding us out is Lone Wolf McQuaid. So these are our bottom five. Pretty much these are our bottom five. Yes. Could, could we have a winner out of all 10 in this batch? Uh, I don't think so. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for Bloodsport and this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you are curious to know about which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website and social media pages. And speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post our show notes, post movie trivia, and other great podcasts. We're also available on all of social media, as well as anywhere that hosts podcasts. Uh, and speaking of which, John, if you listen to this uh, episode when it came out, where will we be tomorrow? Well, tomorrow, we will be at the Emerald City Comic Con, not just to have fun and look around and have a good time, but we will be also hosting our first panel on Podcasting 101. If you want to come and learn how to start your own podcast or learn some of our stories, our good and bad, we'll be hosting the podcast Friday at 2.15 in room 204. 2.15 in room 204 at the Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah. And we may even have some items to give away to some lucky uh, attendees. Oh, well, there you go. I just want to go ahead and thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And thank you to everyone else who listens to us and puts up with us in their ears if you're listening to us on apple make sure you go and leave a five-star review it helps the podcast grow i also want to throw out there that if you happen to listen to us on podbean please go ahead and subscribe it helps us to kind of get you know raise our ranks and get seen some more all right there you go so for three guys in a flick i'm don i'm john and i'm ken thanks for listening Your opponent quits and shouts mate. It's like saying uncle. See, he wrote it down too. And how come you can do it in the accent, but I can't? Why is that okay? Because yours was uh, was was uh, very uh, questionably uh, it, racist. Yeah. What? Is there a song there? Oh, our song. Is that what you were doing there? Yeah, keep rolling your eyes, fucker. We'll see how far that goes. You should start. Actually, you know what you should do is is play our music, but have the Kumite thing in the background Kumite, as our music's going. Do you hear yourself when you suggest things? I'm just curious. One of those childhood scars right up there oh. with Never Ending Story. Oh, my God. The horse scene. What's the name of the horse? Uh, uh, well, the tray used the kid. Yes. What is the horse's name? Sorry, Professor. We digress. Really? Is that what this is? Hey. It doesn't matter. He drowns. Hey, watch your fucking mouth. Habit. Habit. You can just start off with. So now if you want to know what our next. Can I? Is. Can I fucking do it?
giving you a lead. <laughs> he always gets so mad. You notice he gets angrier and angrier as the podcast goes on. You know what it is? I just get more tired and tired. I think when I get tired, I get grumpy. You're, or my, maybe I'm just always grumpy. I'll say, so you're always tired. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you don't think that maybe she might have done the dirty deed to be that guy's arm candy? Oh, you're talking about the other dude after she boned Frank? Yes. I think she might have done a little... A little sweet uh, talking. A little handy hand, maybe. <laughs> a little, a little handy. Yeah. Yeah, she probably gave me a little handy. So mm. I wouldn't put that past her. The one not co- that, listeners, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> that kind of is. What? Giving a handy to get your way? To get into a show, yeah. You wouldn't give a handy to get into a show? It has to be an awfully good show. But you would do it. That's my point. Right? Well, I did it to get on this podcast. Well, there you go. There you go. And the professor thanks you every day. (laughs) All right, fuck off. Good night.